0: The word of the Lord. Thanks. Be to God. Let us pray. Lord, you are our shepherd. Shepherd us today through the preaching of your word. Lead us to living waters and the bread that will satisfy. Give Andrew wisdom in his words today. And through your Spirit, let his words both pierce our hearts and strengthen our souls. Help us to take these words into the weak and wrestle with them. Bless us this week, Lord, in your name. You may be seated. I've mentioned
1: to you before, I, I sometimes am surprised, I should suppose I should stop being surprised, uh, at just how the Lord weaves together the preaching schedule that I lay out with uh, life, and, and so here we are. This passage talking about love and commitment, and it's Valentine's Day weekend. I, I promise, I did not, uh, did not even. Th- I mean, you just you see how we've laid out the series. We're just kind of following it along, and and yet here we are. Um, some of you, you know, as we walk through this series, um, there's just a sense that you come to talk about. Sex, sexuality, lust, marriage, divorce, all of those things, that, that these are, are really deep topics. And I, I am fully aware of that. Really appreciated the, the words of John Stott, who is a commentator, wise pastor, uh, just talking about these areas. And he, he says, you know, there's almost no unhappiness so poignant. As the unhappiness that we experience around these issues of broken sexuality, of an unhappy marriage, almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God meant for love and fulfillment into non-relationships of bitterness, discord, and despair. I hope, he says, that I shall be able to write with sensitivity, for I I know the pain which many suffer, and I have no wish to add to their distress. Yet, it is because I am convinced that the teaching of Jesus on this and every subject is good, intrinsically good, good for individuals, good for society, that I take my courage in both hands and go on. Uh, Like I said, it just deeply resonating. I've spent 30 years in in ministry, have had many conversations with folks in these areas, broken sexuality, uh, broken marriages, unhappy marriages, all sorts of different things. And and I can relate with Stott to the pain that is there, uh, the shame uh, that is connected with... Uh, our broken sexuality, both things that we have done as well as things that have been done to us. Um, uh, There's just a a, a trapped feeling uh, for many people when it comes to these issues. And, you know, I I look at the next 30 minutes or so and, and put it up against the uh, the messages of our society that come in so many ways. I mean, whether it's our billboards or watching the Olympics or whichever way that they come, I mean, we are just constantly bombarded with, with messages with, regarding our sexuality. And, and they as I wrote on Friday, it's an interesting mixture. There's both this debasement of our sexuality in the sense that it's just a physiological function. You can just do whatever you want. It's a little bit like going to the gym or exercising or whatever. You're just working out your bodily functions. Or it's this exalting Uh, of our sexuality, where it becomes everything. It becomes our identity. It becomes, you know, so much of who we are. Uh, What we want to do this morning is we want to understand what Jesus is teaching us here in the context of uh, what He's saying in the Sermon on the Mount, And, and certainly we're going to fit this in contextually as best we can, but also in terms of the whole Scriptures. Because sex is one of those good gifts that God has given to us as individuals. Uh, I like how Jim Widenar puts this uh, in an article. He works with Harvest USA. Some of you are familiar with that ministry as they step in and seek to speak with gospel truth into a sex-saturated society. He says, sex is a picture of the gospel, but it is not the gospel. Uh, In the unbelieving world, sex is salvation. So, as we wrestle with these things, the, the real question that we have to wrestle with is not what is sex, but what is salvation? Where do we turn to when we are seeking those things of highest value? What provides goodness and life to its fullest extent? What will bring ultimate joy and human flourishing? The world says It's sex, it's our sexuality, uh, outside of any inhibitions, guided by our internal impulse. But the Scriptures, and Jesus is pointing us in this way, uh, it says that our highest life is attained by expressing yourself, especially your sex and gender, according to what the church says, according to what the Scriptures say, according to what Jesus has laid out and our eternal life is only found uh, in our union with Christ. So here's the picture that I think Jesus is giving us here in these two little pericopes. You have heard it said, but I say he's dealing with that same formula. Uh, Again, the teachers of the law want to reduce the law, uh, down to just simply the act of committing adultery, Jesus is wanting to expand the law uh, to I- encompass our hearts. Uh, the 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 Pharisees were wanting to focus the the adherence to the law, to our external behavior. Jesus is wanting to connect it to our internal and, and to the way that we are with God in union with God. And what, he, what I believe he's wanting to communicate to us here is that the best life that we have is one that is connected Uh, that flows through our connection with Christ and out into a lifestyle of committed, self-sacrificial love uh, that resists furthering of ourself at the expense of another. And it walk through that with you this morning. Uh, I'll say it again just in case you want to write that down. Jesus calls his followers to a life of committed self-sacrificial love that resists furthering oneself at the expense of the other uh, or another. And that comes through very clearly here in these two passages. You have heard it said, uh, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What is Jesus saying here? What is he not saying here? Uh, He is not saying that this is a problem that only men have. Uh, We know that anybody can uh, sin with the eye, in the heart, uh, all of these things. Jesus is speaking into His day. He's probably addressing uh, a lot of men in spiritual uh, or in different positions of of leadership, Uh, but this is certainly something that can encompass both men and women. The statistics uh, of women with pornography, uh, women with sexual addiction, uh, are increasingly on the rise, Uh, so oftentimes we stereotype people in one uh, particular place or another, and and that's just simply not true, and that is not what Jesus is intending to do here. Uh, Like we said, he's intending to uh, broaden this definition and and connect the the act of uh, adultery with the broader impulses of the heart. What what he's saying here and what we're really needing to grapple with is that it is not merely external Obedience. It's not merely external conformity that we have to deal with on any of these things. We're we're talking about anger last week. We'll talk about truth telling next week. We're going to talk about neighbor love as we go on and what that means. And and Jesus is saying what you really have to deal with is your heart. And, And part of what he is trying to expose to us is that when we really take it to that level, we all are in need of a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Ultimately, it's the righteousness that only Christ can provide for us. And this is what we've been saying the last couple of weeks. Here he focuses on uh, on lust. He focuses on anyone who looks at a person who is not their spouse. The biblical view uh, of, of love uh, and marriage and how it gets expressed is that it's a man and a woman in the context of marriage. A- and Jesus is saying anything that is outside of that in terms of expression is a form of using other people. Uh, there is that, that look, that lust that seeks to gain control, that seeks to um, enter into a relationship without giving of yourself, just to take. Uh, there is uh, an anonymity to it. There is a, a lack of vulnerability that really cuts at the basis, the nature of what our love is, and it's a self-centered taking. That, that doesn't have the commitment that should be intrinsic in the kind of love that the Scriptures take. Uh, we see this same idea coming through in this uh, context of divorce. Uh, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, but I say to you, uh, everyone who divorces his wife, except for on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Uh, one of the thing one of the places that we can see an expansion of this is a little bit later in the book of Matthew in chapter nineteen. Here Jesus takes what he gives very quickly there in Matthew chapter five, and he expands on it, and he says, uh, the Pharisees came to him and tested him, saying, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife? One's wife for any cause?" Uh, some of you know there was a debate between two. Uh, Pharisaical schools between the school of Hillel and the school of uh, Shemael—I think that's the name—and uh, and one was much more conservative, the other was much more permissive. The one school said that you could you could divorce your wife for any cause. So that's that's the context of that question, and that's what they're asking: if if your wife burns the roast on Sunday, you know that is grounds for divorce. Now, some of, no, I don't think any feels that way. But uh, that, that was their idea. Like if she displeases you in any way through her appearance, through her cooking, through uh, any of these things, you can just write her the certificate of divorce and, and you can and send her away. And they're asking questions about that. But Jesus is saying, listen, you you have it all wrong. You're you're looking for this external sort of ways that you can conform to the law. Um, But but Moses didn't give you this. They, They say, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said, listen, Moses never commanded you. It was because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed you or permitted you uh, to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. He wants to put the focus on the intent, like what is it that God called us to? It, It wasn't this sense, where we come into our relationships, uh, where we come into interactions, males, females, with regards to our sexuality or however that works out, that we could take. And as soon as uh, that is over, as soon as that uh, no longer meets our needs, then we can just move on, whether it's through You know, the lustful thoughts and the way that we use those with pornography or whatever it might be, there's no commitment there. You are just simply taking, and then when you are done, you move on. Or in the context of marriage, there is a sense of taking, and when there no longer is a sense of meeting my needs, uh, then I move on. Jesus is wanting to point us in a different direction. And the reason is because the picture that he gives us of love, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, is, is so different than this. You know, what he's talking about here, what he is encouraging us to move away from, is something that, that just causes harm. Uh, it causes harm for, um, for others, certainly. Uh, you know, any time you are used uh there is going to be emptiness, there is going to be bitterness, there is going to be uh, that that sense of being less uh, than who God created you to be and and we take that away from others. there is the harming of others. Now certainly I, I think, you know, again, applying this. There, there are so many folks who have been in that position and have been used one way or another. Men, women, uh, young people, older people. As you process through that, you say, amen. You know, that, that is not the love that that certainly Jesus has created and that expresses the kind of love that Christ gives to us hurts others it hurts ourselves um, there is there's something really beautiful as we're going to go into a moment, you know, with giving yourself and entering in and the vulnerability that we are invited to in real biblical love. Uh, when when we experience that or when we move into that in, in a way that's less than that, uh, we isolate ourselves. Uh, we we guard ourselves from the invitation that is being held out to really enter into something that is true love. Uh, there there is anger and embitterment that comes in. Uh, I, I love, well, this is this is a very difficult passage, but the the way that the scripture talks about it is is so enlightening. Um, this is in Second Samuel chapter thirteen. Some of you know the story of Amnon and Tamar. Uh, Tamar is is one of David's wife, uh, uh, abs, or, or, sorry, one of David's daughters. Uh, Absalom is his is his uh, is her brother. Amnon is one of David's sons, um, and you know it's a different sort of a lot of different connections here. So not the same type of family system that we might have, but Amnon falls in love with Tamar, at least he desires her, and he cooks up this plan to take her. He takes her for himself. Uh, He violates her despite her protestations. Uh, He would not listen to her Uh, being stronger than she. He took and he violated her. But what's interesting is verse 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 13, where it says, Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And it just demonstrates how, how destructive uh, these types of, of playings out are for yourself uh, not to mention the, the person that, that you have acted out with or upon or, or however that works out. The, this bitterness develops within yourself. And, of course, uh, we know that it is very destructive in terms of our relationship with God. Um, David White, in a book on sexuality, talks about it this way. He says, "...sexual sin damages the self in a way that is unique." unlike any other sins. Why? Well, Paul points to the profound mystery, reminding that sexuality is a reflection of the ultimate union with Jesus. Sexual sin dilutes the greatest wonder in the universe. The glorious hope of the world to come is living in a face-to-face relationship with Jesus of which marriage and sexuality is the closest terrestrial analogy. You see, when we, when we reduce or when we uh, move sexually in ways that aren't reflective of how God has laid it out, we're, we're hurting what we can see with regards to God. I mean, this is one of the most common occurrences or the most common metaphors that God uses to describe His relationship with His people. He, He's married us. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. There is a a self-giving. He lays down His life for the church. He he purifies us through His love. And, And that's the picture. That's the picture that we have. And when we move in different directions, we not only hurt others, we not only hurt ourselves, but perhaps most importantly, we we hurt our ability to see God for who He is and to experience Him in the way that He is inviting us to experience Him. So we're stuck. We're, we're stuck in this sort of profound Uh, misunderstanding of of love. Uh, Dallas Willard, in, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, puts it this way. He says, The profound misunderstandings of the erotic that prevail today actually represent the inhibility of humanity in its current Western edition to give itself to others and to receive them in abiding faithfulness. Personal relationship has been emptied out to the point where intimacy is impossible. One of the most telling things about contemporary human beings is that they cannot find a reason for not committing adultery. It's a lot of negatives there, um, but th- they cannot find a reason for not committing adultery. We, we go there. In, yet, he says, intimacy is a spiritual hunger of the human soul that we cannot escape. We keep hammering the sex button in the hope that a little intimacy but might dribble out, however that's in vain. For intimacy comes only within a framework of an individualized faithfulness within the kingdom of God. and um, such faithfulness is violated by adultery in the heart as well as adultery in the body. I know that was a lot of words. Uh, I think he, he says something so well. Uh, and, and what he's saying is that, you know, we're, we're here, there's, there's all of this brokenness. We keep trying to move in this way, both in our marriages as well as in our individual lives. It's because we were created for intimacy. But when we try to find it outside of the ways that God has uh, ordained for it, we're going to come up empty, and we're going to just keep hammering that sex button, hoping that a little intimacy would dribble out, But, but it's not going to. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus is so urgent with this. We talked about this last week, the urgency with which Jesus addresses the anger, you know, leave your gift at the altar and go. Here, the urgency is expressed uh, quite metaphorically, uh, graphically. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body uh, should go to hell. Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. I think some of you know throughout the history of the church there have been people that have taken this, literally origin, one of the church fathers, most notably, um, emasculated himself you know for these issues. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But what Jesus is saying here is that we do have to be urgent in mortifying these uh, the, the, the desire to take, absent the, the act of giving. Uh, and, and we have to find, you know, we have to be diligent about finding these ways where, where we are seeing this. Like, you know, I think, how might we talk about this, this culture, you know? You think about the places where you go, the environments that you are in. Uh, if your computer is causing you to sin. You, you need to deal with that. You, you can't just allow that to go. I'm not saying you have to become a Luddite, but you may have to you may have to install a program like Covenanted Eyes. You may have to get some accountability. Uh, you need to do whatever you need to do. You need to not have that computer in private places, all of those types of things. That is the type of, of rigorous, work that Jesus is calling us to do as we pursue this righteousness because because we hurt others, we rob ourselves, and we certainly will hurt our relationship with God. I need to move on. Uh, The beauty of sacrificial love, Uh, I think we get the sense of the brokenness of self-centered love. The beauty of sacrificial love, again, in context of this sermon, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Uh, All of the promises that are connected to this, this is the type of lifestyle that Jesus is inviting us into. This is the attitude of heart. This is the attitude of vulnerability. This is the garden In which love grows. It's interesting. uh, I have a a book that I often refer to. uh, It's by Susan Johnson. It's called Hold Me Tight. She is not a believer, as far as I can tell. She writes in a a secular style, but but she highlights the centrality of uh, or uh, of of vulnerability as the thing that causes union in relationship as we give ourselves as we open ourselves it's interesting paul even in second corinthians chapter 6 is calling the corinthians he's Corinthians, he says, we have opened ourselves up to you. Will you open yourself up to us in response? This is the way forward, this brokenness, this poor in spirit, meekness, humbleness. This is the way forward to intimacy in relationships, intimacy that doesn't take, but intimacy uh, that, that gives and receives in a very real way. Uh, and, and this will move towards a bonding that, that will withstand the test of time. Uh, this is what can bring us together. It's not my ability to love my wife that keeps us going. Uh, It's my ability within this bond of trust, this mutual giving and receiving, that is what keeps us together. Uh, it's it's not our perfection because we're never perfect. I make all kinds of mistakes day in day out, but there is a bonding, there is a union that happens in the midst of this. The greatest picture for this is the cross, uh, the 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 humility with which Jesus entered into our world. Uh, I recently read this. You know, they they say if you if you put up a needle up and you look out through the skies, you see like ten thousands of galaxies. And part of, you know, as we think about this, we think about how big the world is and how small we are. But reverse that. You know, think about the God of, of such vast expanse coming down and being with us. Yeah, emptying Himself, making Himself nothing, becoming vulnerable in a way that we can receive Him, in a way that He could give Himself to us and, and could marry us in such a, a, a beautiful way. That's, that's the picture, and that's what we're invited into, a, a union with Christ. This is something that goes beyond just our identity. Uh, it, this is something that is real. Like, we, we are in a real relationship, a real union with Christ. He has married us in that way, and, and it bears fruit. You know, these are some of the things that I think are characteristic of, of a Christian view of love. There's a vulnerability that leads to giving and receiving, that, that leads to bonding, that bears fruit. Uh, sometimes it bears fruit form of children. Other times it bears fruit in terms of, or it bears fruit in other ways as well in terms of service to the kingdom, all of those types of things. But but that's the picture. That's the picture that that we are given of the kind of sacrificial love uh, coming, to, coming to its uh, preeminent form in the way that Jesus loves the world or loves His church. It's interesting, you know, when we think about it and this is where I'm out of time. Uh, you know, the conversations that we could have, so often I find as Christians, when it comes to sexuality and our vision for sexuality in this world, we find ourselves on our heels because. You know, we're taking 30 minutes this, this morning, but that is a pea shooter in the face of an artillery when it comes to sexual messaging that you receive on a day-in and day-out basis. Uh, it is overwhelming, and so we find ourselves on the defense. But the, the picture that the Scriptures gives us is far more coherent you know, in terms of our identity, in terms of how we think about ourselves, I, the the world talks about identity only in terms of sexuality. Well, well, what if you're never married? What if you're, uh, what if you you don't experience these things in ways that the world says that you're supposed to? Like, how do I think about myself then? Like, how do I think? It, is is there any answer for that? But what I love about the scriptures picture as we push into the biblical view of sexuality, it it has answers for the married, for the single, for the celibate. Uh, It has answers for the divorced. It has answers. There, There are answers for every person in a way that isn't completely focused on, on how we perceive or how we experience our sexuality, uh, it, it's so much more coherent, and it's very, very plausible, especially within community. Like I think about one of the things that one of the great gifts that God gives us is just the community to be here. I, I love seeing you, uh, you know, each morning on Sunday. Oftentimes, I recognize you in the seats that you sit in, and you notice a number of you are sitting in different seats uh, this week. Uh, unusual, but here we are. You know, we're, we're together as the community, and, and God has given us to each other as the church to, to work these out, and there is a plausibility uh, that goes beyond sort of our sexuality that is offered to us. The world just doesn't have. You, know, you, you only, if you are outside of the church. Like, you find your community with those who identify sexually as you do. Uh, but, but here, we're, we're very different. Uh, we're married, we're single, we're celibate, we're divorced. We're, we're in different places in life, and the Scriptures say that's okay because there's a vision of love that is bigger that brings all of that in that wraps it up. And the basis, of course, for this, as we have already said, is uh, is the love of our King, the, the love of our great Bridegroom who has loved us and who has married us. And I want to just say a, a, a couple of things. Um, you know, one, just the, the confidence that we have in that. Again, we often find ourselves on our heels, and, and what I would really like to encourage us encourage us is let's dive into this. Let's, let's own our Christian story with regards to our sexuality, and let's, let's hold on to it as good and, and beautiful in the face of the culture but let's also hear it as one that speaks to our greatest shames, that speaks to all of the places that we have been broken either by guilt or by um, uh, pollution of sin. In both of these ways, Christ comes to us and He loves us. You know, that, that story of Tamar and Absalom, there, there's so many broken pieces to that. You have Amnon and his desire. You have Jonadab and the way that he helps the situation go along. You have David and, and his refusal to step in as the king and as the father and to really bring justice to the situation. You have the tragic person of Tamar who spends her days in brokenness and mourning. But I love Psalm 45 because in Psalm 45, we get a picture of a king who is greater than David, a, a king who sees through all of the sexual brokenness that we experience in our world, and he loves He loves his bride. Hear, O oh daughter, and consider. Incline your ear. Uh, forget your people in your father's house. The king will desire your beauty, all glorious is the princess in her chamber with woves interwoven with gold, many colored robes as she led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. Here's a king who looks on his beloved and he desires her beauty. He doesn't see her as broken. He doesn't see her as marked or marred by all sorts of things. He can look past your brokenness, your shame. He looks past all of that, and He says, I love you. I love you because I have decided to set my love upon you from before the foundations of the world. I love you Because I went to the cross to bear your shame. And you bear it no more. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The robes that you have are white and they're pure. And you're beautiful and you're radiant and I love you. This is the picture, a self-sacrificing, committed love that we sing about on Valentine's Day. Like, this is what we celebrate as it comes to us through the Scriptures. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You for this, uh, this Word that indeed points us in a direction that is so beautiful, that is so lovely. Lord, You know our brokenness. You know our shame. You know the places that, um, uh, that, that we are just aching to be loved. We are aching for an intimacy. Thank you for uh, meeting us, inviting us further up and further in. Lord, we pray that you would take us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.